With that said, we are moving into 1 Kings chapter 11 tonight, and not a great chapter. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. Uh, I think we're only going to make it through about 11 verses tonight, which is very different from what we've normally been doing on Sunday nights. Usually we kind of cover a chapter to two. But this week we're going to cover a lot of other scripture. And as we get into the Word of God tonight, we're going to discover, we're going to learn a lot about us, mankind. And it's not a great image, not a great picture of fallen man. But there's always hope in God's story, uh, and that's why Jesus Christ has been sent for us. So I don't want you to be like, wow, this is going to be a real bummer of a sermon, Pastor Dave. Well, no, no, we're going to get to Jesus Christ and the hope we have in him. But uh, before that, we've got to see what's going on with Solomon. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this evening. I thank you for this wonderful fellowship that you've placed us in. And uh, Lord God, we give you all the praise and the glory, Lord, that you bring together all of us, people that may have never connected or met each other. We have different walks of life, different areas, but here we are under the banner of Christ, and we give you all the praise for that. Lord, now we ask you to open up your word, that you might teach us, that we might glorify you, that our hands and our feet might be submitted to you in all that we do, and our minds and our hearts submitted to you in all that we think and consider and, and purpose. And so, Lord, now here we are. Teach us, and we pray that we'd all be transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, let's, uh, we've been teaching through the book of First Kings, and as we've been going through First Kings, uh, we've seen, we, last week we saw a turning of Solomon, and we saw that Solomon started to do some things he wasn't supposed to do, and we read about that in the law, that Solomon wasn't supposed to acquire heart, horses, he wasn't supposed to acquire a lot of gold, uh, which we read about the, just the amount of the wealth and the gold and how silver was basically worthless in the days of Solomon. And then he also wasn't supposed to acquire wives for himself, many wives. And we saw that Solomon started to break all those commands last week as he received all this wealth. Now, you know, there is a, a thought among men uh, among, and when I say men, I mean mankind, men and women in general. And the thought is if we can balance out our wealth, if we can get things right, then it'll solve all the problems. If we can make sure that everybody gets a fair share of the pie, so to speak, uh, and it'll solve crime, it'll solve all these things. And, and that's not really a humanistic idea that, that man is basically good in his core. And I'll tell you that this, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, man is not basically good at his core. Man is a sinner. He's depraved in his heart and dead in his sins and transgressions, the Bible tells, tells us. And I'll tell you, there's never enough wealth. There's never enough things. And we're going to see that with Solomon, who was given all the wisdom, the wisest man. God blessed him with that wisdom along with his wealth. So verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, uh, but... King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn, your, you away, uh, turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. 
this is just obscene. It really is. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And, and I, I appreciate how the Bible is frank with us about the people that God is interacting with throughout uh, our, our biblical history, throughout man's human history, that the Bible doesn't pull any punches. And but the Bible is not endorsing it. The Bible is just stating the, the, where Solomon is at. And so we see that, first of all, now Solomon has loved many foreign women. Notice the direct disobedience to what God had commanded him. God had commanded Saul, uh, Israel not to intermarry with these tribes of the land because they would turn their hearts away from God. And we'll, we'll see more about that in just a moment. But as he marries these many women, there's one thing I want to make sure we're clear is let's just talk about marriage for a moment. Let's talk about God's design for marriage because throughout the scriptures, we see uh, many prominent biblical people, characters, who are polygamists or who have concubines or multiple wives. And I'll tell you this, not one of them can you ever say is really blessed from taking that extra wife or that concubine. In fact, what we see is it always causes problems. And the reason it causes problems is because man is doing things man's way and not doing it the way God created. Let's turn over to Genesis for just a moment. Genesis chapter 2. And uh, look at God's design for marriage. Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to get there. My pages. There we go. Genesis chapter 2 and then verse 23. After God had created woman, Adam said this. Chapter 2, verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Uh, So let's just look at how God designed marriage and the purpose in which he designed it was for the, the, obviously Adam saw that there was no helpmate worthy for him as God had brought all the animals of the, of, of his creation before Adam and there was no one found worthy for Adam. And so God did this special creation, but within the special creation of woman, we see that there is a, a, a purpose of them to be joined together and to become one flesh. One man, one woman, one flesh, okay? Not to become one man, three wives, or however other way you want to work this in. That was outside of the plan of God from the creation. In fact, actually, if you turn over one other, uh, two other chapters to Genesis chapter 4, verse 19, we can find the first person that chose to take more than one wife in the Old Testament. Chapter 4, verse 19. So Cain has murdered his brother Abel. Now we're following the line of Cain, and it comes down to this man named Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. There's the comment in the, in the book of Genesis. So just, just there, it just says this, this, this descendant of Cain chose to have two wives. Now, it's not endorsing it. It's just stating a fact. But what we're seeing is man... Uh, perverting God's design. The man has started to shift and change God's design. In fact, if you go through the line of Adam, through Seth, 
all the way through Noah, you're not going to see that they, they took on multiple wives. It didn't happen that way. I, 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 would, I would actually say that it wasn't until other cultures started influencing these individuals, these cultures that chose to do things man's way versus God's way, that they started taking on multiple wives. Well, well what did Jesus say about this? Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and, and we'll go to verse 4 in Matthew. It's already up there? Yeah, but I'm not there. See? Bethany's faster than me. (laughs) Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. And this all came about with the Pharisees trying to test Jesus and question Jesus about divorce. And Jesus' response was, This is how God designed marriage. And this is the part of the purpose of marriage is that the two become one flesh and man should not separate it. Well, with that idea comes this, this, uh, the, we understand that there are people in life that you are not allowed to be attracted to. That's just the fact. You're just not allowed to be attracted to. It doesn't matter how you feel. It, does, it doesn't matter how much love you feel, you're not allowed to be attracted to them because they either are someone else's wife or you're married or whatever the case is. And so this is how God designed marriage. Never did God design marriage that someone might have uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines as Solomon did here. This was just an obscene amount of wives. Now, you know, some people try to make the argument, well, God didn't say it was wrong in the Old Testament. God never said it was wrong. Listen, that's just, that, that's Americans with the mentality of babies, right? Because we're so used to being babied. I, I'll tell you right now, uh, when you sit down and you start looking at warning labels on stuff, you're kind of amazed, like, how did that warning label get there, right? Like, McDonald's hot coffee, warning hot, right? You're, well, it says hot coffee, hot, warning hot, you know? When, I, when I've been in, in foreign countries, tea is a big thing. Uh, and generally, I, you know, I bring my coffee packets, but I don't always have coffee. And they say, hey, we just made some tea. I'll never forget I I was in, in Nepal, I was in a church, and uh, part of after church is they've got some chai for you. Of course, chai means tea. I know here we're used to getting chai lattes, but that just would be a tea latte, right? Uh, if you want spiced tea like our chai lattes, you'd want a chai masala, right? That, that's the way it would be in India and Nepal. But uh, so after church, they have this, uh, this tea for you. And they, they pour the tea and they bring it over to you. It's in this thin metal cup, right? Then they, 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 they hand it to you. But the way they hand it is they're already holding the top of the, the cup, right? Right? 
And then you get it, you're like, it's like a hot coal. Like somebody just poured lava in your hands and you're trying to balance this teacup without spilling hot things all over yourself. That's how they do it there. There's no, we're not going to baby you. You just got to learn to deal with this, you know. In Africa, you'll see a woman who's lighting her fire, her coal. The baby is like right there playing next to the fire, you know. And, and then the woman goes and she just picks up some coals and move it to there. And you're like... How in the world? I'm just not a man. I'm not a man. <laughs> There's no way I could do this. But um, we kind of, and then we start saying that it's God's fault that he never told us that we shouldn't have more, more than one wife. Well, he did. He gave you the design. It's God's fault that I can't go swimming with my, well, nowadays you can go swimming with your iPhone, but <laughs> whatever the case is, right? Uh, but but if we're going to blame somebody else for not telling us, don't do this. And, and, and that's not the case. Look at how it was created, and we, and we don't have to question that God doesn't, his design is not that you'd be uh, have multiple wives. Now, I know we don't deal with that so much in our culture, but you go to South Sudan, and part of the reason why we have trouble getting all the uh, pastors, male pastors, is many of them have forfeited themselves from the work of the ministry because they've taken many wives, and they've just forfeited themselves. Um, it, it's not God's design that we would have multiple wives. Well, that goes also for all the other things our world is throwing at people and saying, this should be recognized as marriage. Uh, love is love, right? Which, which their standard of love isn't even right. Now, look at, look at what Solomon does here. And, and uh, it says that, verse 2, surely they will turn, the, the warning from scriptures, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Then look what it says, Solomon clung to these in love. You can underline that, you can circle that, and you can put that Solomon loved these women more than he loved God. Solomon wanted to satisfy the flesh more than he wanted to, to, to love God. Solomon wanted to satisfy his lust more than he loved God. That, that's really what's happening here. Solomon doesn't care so much about loving God. He cares about satisfying his own lust. Think about that for a minute. 1,000 women. I don't even know how you manage that many women. Right? I, I, not, not that women, not that women are hard to manage. Okay, just check, honey, I'm sorry. I know she's watching at home. Uh, that's not what I meant. <laughs> so, uh, but what I'm saying is like, it's just ridiculous. How can you even have a relationship with that many women? You can't. It's not possible. But Solomon here keeps multiplying wives, clinging to them. Sadly, Solomon didn't even follow his own wisdom that he wrote down in Proverbs. Proverbs 27.20 writes, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. The fact is, is the lust of a man or a woman, the lust, is never satisfied. If you feed, to the, if you feed the flesh, you'll have to continue feeding the flesh. If you, if you feed to the spirit, then, then you'll become satisfied. If you sow to the spirit, you'll, you'll reap a wonderful harvest. But if you sow to the flesh, you'll never reap that harvest that you desire. 
Sadly, some people are so, they're, they're stuck in the same rut that Solomon was stuck in. And the fact that they're clinging more to their sin and their desire to satisfy their own sinful desires, lust, whatever it is, pride, uh, go on and on and list different things. But they're clinging to that and they refuse to let go of that to love God. And I'll tell you right now, there's only one end if you continue holding on to your lust or you're clinging on to your sin, and that end is hell and destruction. It's not going to happen. Well, remember, God, God wanted, didn't want Israel to mar- intermarry with these foreign, foreign uh, women because they would lead their hearts astray. So not only is Solomon pl- practicing polygamy to the extreme, but now we see that he's marrying foreign women on top of that. So let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, and as was the heart of his father David. For, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So Solomon now is adding to his rebellion against God uh, by actually starting to worship these foreign gods. Not only was he clinging to these women to satisfy his lust, but now he's starting beginning to cling to their gods. Notice it says, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. If you remember from last week, all this started with Solomon being disobedient in somewhat rather small things. Remember he tried to give away land that wasn't his to give? And remember, he started amassing gold and and much gold the way he wasn't supposed to. And then he started dealing in horses. All those things were things that somewhat he might have been able to justify, especially especially the horses, because in a way, the way the scripture was written last week was that he was a horse broker from Egypt rather than he himself receiving those horses. Nonetheless, we see that, that he had these small decisions to rebel against God, and now we're seeing he's going full in on his rebellion against God. Not only is he beginning to worship these foreign gods, but he's sacrificing along with them. Let me explain to you about Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth is the goddess of fertility, and I forgot to give the computer a picture of, of this the little sculptures of this god. But... but uh, she was the famous consort, so to speak, of Baal. And, and she was a fertility goddess, and everybody would worship her. And so you'll, you can see old pictures of her. Basically, it kind of magnifies her, her bosom uh, in these little statues. But the sad part about it is there's this little tiny statue, right? And everybody's got to worship this fertility goddess. And, and it's not at all like the living god. Uh, it, it can't deliver like the living God. And remember, Solomon actually had God appear to him twice in dreams. Not once, twice. 
Solomon had God speak to him in dreams. In fact, Solomon, uh, uh, God told Solomon that if he was faithful as his father David, God would continue to bless the kingdom and the kingdom would never depart from his hands. But if he chose to go after foreign gods, it would all be ripped away from him. Uh, it would be taken away from, from his descendants. And sure enough, Solomon can't even make it. He just wants to satisfy the flesh. So he begins worshiping this, uh, this uh, goddess of fertility, also called the queen of heaven. And, and they would present them with bread and cakes and, and, uh, and, and go and worship and wreck these big poles and, and worship them. Well, the next god uh, that's mentioned here is, uh, let's see, Ashtoreth and Milcom. Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Now, Milcom and Molech are actually the same deity. Uh, Molech is also called Milcom, is called Malik, is called Milku. Uh, Now, this one is especially, well, they're all evil because they all lead man away from God, but this one is just disgusting. This God, Molech, was one of the reasons why God chose to judge the peoples of the land of Canaan. Because this God required child sacrifice. That was a part of the the process. It was called uh, going through the fire for Molech. And and they would offer their children actually into the fire uh, and and kill them, murder their, their children, all to appease the God Molech. This God who is, who is this God? What can this God do? This false God that's been erected by man's hands. But yeah, we've got to worship that one. Yeah, okay, we've got to burn our kid, throw him into the fire. And, and I know we look back at this and we think, uh, boy, that was really barbaric in those times. Those times are barbaric. Listen, I'll tell you right now, this still happens today. Uh, some of the children we have at Hope Home were rescued from child sacrifice. And now it's illegal, but it doesn't mean that people still don't do it. Uh, they were rescued from child sacrifice. And I would say more than that, I, let's see, it was uh, last 20, was it the 20, no, 2019 uh, Golden Globes or whatever? Uh, I can't remember the award, reward thing, or award shows. Uh, but one of the actresses stood up and she started uh, proclaiming how wonderful her abortion was because without her abortion, she could have never achieved the status and, and the, this award that she was receiving, you tell me that's not sacrificing your child to Molech? That's exactly what it is. Hey, if I sacrifice my kid, I'll get what I want. That's, that's, it's still happening today. The child sacrifice is still happening today, just a little bit different. So turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32 God is preparing Israel for judgment. Uh, he's revealing that, that Babylon is going to come and destroy both Judah and Israel. And in verse 32, God says this, Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger... They, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and 
They have turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. Verse 34, but they set their abominations in the house, which is called my name to defile it. That's the temple. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to, look at that, pass through the fire to Molech which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. The depravity of man. We need more. We need more. Let's cling to our our lust. Let's cling to our pride. Let's cling to our our wealth. All those, we need more. And as man starts clinging to these false gods, it completely changes and perverses the mind, perverts the mind to become totally depraved. Let's go over to Romans chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there because we're going to read a lot in Romans here. Uh, Romans chapter 1. People ask like, how could someone do this? How could someone be evil like that? How could, how could people choose to, to, to do the things they do and cause the evil they cause or worship these gods that are evil. Well, Romans 1 answers that whole question. If you're ever asked the question, how could someone do that? Just go to Romans 1, and this is your answer, okay? I'll tell you right now. Uh, as soon as you want to ask the question, how could someone, go to Romans 1. Romans 1 will, will answer that question. It's, it's all there. Romans 1.18, look at this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, understand this, the wrath of God, that's not a good thing. When God's wrath is coming, it's not good for you. It's not good for me. Uh, It's something to be afraid of and something to be fearful. Now, praise be to God for Jesus Christ who removes God's wrath from us. He was judged on our behalf so that you and I won't face the wrath of God. Uh, Those who walk in Christ are born again. But, but, the wrath of God is coming against those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Well, what does that mean? Verse 19, because what may be known to of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, what, what Paul is revealing to us is that God has been available and revealed just through the creation. Just through the creation alone, man can come to the realization that there is a creator God. Now, they might not come to the truth of Jesus Christ, but they can certainly come to the idea that God exists. And, and by looking at the creation, you can learn so much. You can learn that, that there are certain moral attributes that we would call good or the ultimate good, right? Like love being good to others, peace, all these things we can discover by, hey, this is good. This is not only morally good, but it's something that all of society should work towards because the ultimate product is goodness. And then when we start thinking about that, we start thinking about God. The fact that we have a sense of moral right and wrong in us should say that, hey, how is this possible that I have the same sense, you who live in a different country have the same sense of moral right and wrong? Oh, maybe there's a creator God who created us in his image. See, these things should be revealed from nature. I was in Nepal in Kathmandu, and uh, I, I probably should have brought the video of this, but they were uh, 
getting ready for, they, you know, they have rainy season and in expectation of their rainy season, they build this huge, they call it a chariot. It's this, this cart and this big tower. And the tower is for the worship of one of their idols. I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I should have brought the video for you. And uh, they start uh, this dancing and, and giving offerings and smoking ganja, uh, all these things to, to give to this idol to bring rain. Now, if they just sat back for a moment and, and they thought about the creation, the times and the seasons and, and the, 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 the sun, how it, how it continually, faithfully goes from the east to the west and, and it rises and sets. And if they, they just thought for a moment about the order of creation, they would come to a realization that this wasn't their God made by hands, this chariot they're building, but there's a living God Who's, who's created all these things. But see, man in his sinfulness suppresses that truth and he denies the truth of God and he exchanges it for a lie. Look at verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. So they didn't give God the glory, nor did they give him the thanks, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So now man in his foolishness and his dark heart is beginning to worship the creation rather than the creator. Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also, likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Isn't that amazing? Disobedient to parents. So uh, parents, make sure you share that with your children. And children in here, make sure you understand that when you choose to disobey your parents, you, better, you need to be careful because, because those are the things that lead away to a depraved and debased mind. Because what you're doing is you're rejecting the truth of God, the natural order that God has given to you, that your parents have authority over you. It's important. You be respectful. And that, that's one of the reasons why I said, children, honor your mother and father that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That, that's important. So make sure to honor your parents. Verse 31, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do they do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. If 
you're ever asking yourself, how could somebody encourage children to do such wicked behaviors or wicked things? Romans 1, right here. That's how it is. Because when people are given over to depravity and a debased mind and dark hearts, they want to encourage everyone around them to do the very same thing so that they all like can go to destruction. It's terrible. And so that's what we see with Solomon. Solomon has completely given himself over to his lust, to his desires, to these things which he ought not to do, to these foreign gods, even to the point of allowing child sacrifice within his kingdom. This, this man who has no excuse because he was given this wisdom that was above everyone else. Remember this text said that of Solomon, uh, no, there was not a problem that he could not solve because of his great wisdom. But sadly, he wouldn't even listen to, to, to his own wisdom and became dark and futile. Let's go to verse 9 in chapter 11. So the Lord became angry with Solomon, rightfully so, just like he said he would in Romans 1. Because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will do not do this in your, and not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen." So God speaks to Solomon and says, you've done evil, and I'm going to judge. And this is the, the result of your evil. I'm going to tear away this kingdom. Now, Solomon's father, David, he wasn't a perfect man. We know that. We saw his sin. We, it was recorded for us. But he was always faithful to do something. Every time he was confronted with sin, Solomon made a very good choice. He repented. I'm oh, sorry, David made a very good choice. Thank you. Uh, David made a very good choice. He repented. He, anytime he was confronted, he would turn and repent. Uh, over and over, we see that with the life of David. And that really should be Solomon's choice action. That's what he should do. He should repent. But we're going to see that Solomon doesn't do that in the, uh, next week. We're going to see that Solomon does the very opposite. He tries to fight against God and God's plan. That's what we'll see he'll do. But I told you at the beginning of this, pass, of, of this uh, message that there's hope in God's story. And there is hope in God's story. And the question is, if I've given myself over to idolatry, what do I do? What do I do if I've given myself over to this, this clinging to the lust of the flesh, the pride of life? Uh, what, what do I do? Well, the Bible gives clear instruction and hope. Colossians 3, 5. Three verses five through seven, uh, Paul writes, therefore put to death in your members which are on the earth, and this is what it is, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So first step is put these things to death. Get rid of them out of your life. Don't cling to them like Solomon did, holding on to these things and rejecting God. No, you, you get rid of it now. Do away with it. And then it says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. 
you come out from the idolatry and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you cling to Jesus, quit clinging to the sin and start clinging to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Be forgiven of your sin. There's no work you have to do. Just believe on him. Jesus has already done the work. He's taken your judgment for himself that you might be forgiven and have eternal life. But turn away from that, that idolatry, from that sin, from those things that are entangling you. And I love the fact that verse 7 in, in Colossians here says, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. See, these are people that are being called out of it. Just like maybe some of you today are being called out of these things. So they were too. And, and that's the hope we have in Jesus Christ, that we can be called out of it and we can be made into a new creation, a creation created in the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. How beautiful that is. So that's the hope we have in Jesus. Sorry for the depressing subject about Solomon's fall, but that's where we're at in the text. But I don't want you to be the same. We can take Solomon's life as a warning to us to not pursue after the same things, but to pursue Christ. The Bible tells us to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt, where thieves can't come in and steal. Don't look to storing up things here on earth or clinging to things here on earth because you won't be able to hold on to them. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time and your word this this evening. And uh, Lord God, right now we confess our sin to you. And if you're in a place where you've been clinging to your sin, you confess it right now. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I need to let go of this idolatry, this lust, these pagan rituals that the world has offered. Lord, set me free. I'm going to let go right now, Lord. I want to cling to you. The Bible tells you that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that you forgive us of our sin. We don't take it lightly that you were judged on that cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, we thank you that you paid the price for us so that we might walk in newness of life. And so, Lord, we ask you to come and minister to your saints. We ask you to bless your people. Let them to continue to walk in the peace and the goodness of our Savior. We give you all the praise and all the glory. We look forward to your coming, and we say Maranatha. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I uh, am always just so amazed at, uh, when I talk to our missionary, Timothy, in West Africa, and uh, just even hearing his prayer requests and prayer needs, and you can keep them in prayer. Uh, their lives are in great danger right now, the Fulani in, in their country. Uh, are being killed uh, just because of the association of the tribe with Boko Haram, even though he's obviously a born-again believer. But as I, as I pray with him, as we, we talk on the phone, all I can think about it was this former jihadist, this, this man who would go into jihad, who has given up those things and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and is now a born-again new creation. And uh, just the the relationship we share, I'm just amazed by God. And it reminded me of a promise I wanted to leave you with tonight. That Paul says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can count on that. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.